good to be here again. It's good to see everyone. Uh, thanks, Mother uh, Time, for coming along. Uh, trust the Lord will bless us as we continue in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and uh, continuing this uh, study in everyday evangelism. We're on to the, the last session, and uh, probably everyone. Uh, we're a little, we're a little weary, uh, but we've quite a little to cover again uh, this evening. And uh, we want to read in John's Gospel, chapter four, again, and we we'll read just a few scattered verses. John chapter four, verse number ten to begin with. John four, verse ten, and um, says, "Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God." And who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And then verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And uh, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So that's our reading, and we trust the Lord to, to bless it to us. So tonight, uh, I want to think with you about the subject of preaching Christ. Um, the contact has been made with this woman. Uh, conviction has been brought through the use of the law. Uh, her challenges uh, concerning worship have been answered and now the Lord Jesus Christ must be presented. And remember that we have been thinking that evangelism is telling sinners the gospel so that they may be saved. And uh, we know that the gospel, the, the good news, could be summed up in the one word, Christ. Uh, when Simeon lifted up the little baby in the temple, he, he said to, to God, my eyes have seen thy salvation. And bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope for humanity. Now, Philip, the pattern evangelist that we've spoken on on a couple of occasions, he went to Samaria and uh, the Bible tells us he preached Christ unto them. And then he left the city and he went to that one man, the Ethiopian eunuch in the wilderness, and he began with the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Uh, remember we said at the beginning that the flow of a good gospel conversation was that we get our start from the sinner and we set our sights on the Saviour. We want to make a connection but we also want to have this direction. Uh, so that we can communicate the gospel because our goal ultimately we need to keep the goal in mind is to present the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe just before we go any further with that I want to make 
an important point here. Uh, while our goal is ultimately to tell people about the Lord, uh, this doesn't mean that every single conversation will or even should necessarily reach that goal. Now, this is an important thing to, to grasp. In fact, when we enter into conversation with an unbeliever uh, about spiritual matters, I would suggest that we have a much more modest goal uh, in that particular conversation that you're engaged in. You want to present Christ as the ultimate uh, aim in your mind, but, but here and now, your goal in this conversation is different, and that is to bring the person one step closer to that point. That is to move in the right direction. Anything more than that is a bonus. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that just so that we have it in our minds. Let, let's suppose that you are on an aeroplane, you get into a conversation with the person beside you, and he asks what you are travelling for. And you say, well, I'm, I'm actually travelling to go to a Bible conference. And he looks distinctly unimpressed at that. And uh, you, you catching that, you, you say to him, well, what, what do you think about the Bible? And he tells you that he thinks it's an outdated book full of Stone Age myths and uh, foolish superstitions and all of this. And uh, you might just wonder how to respond to that. But, but then you think, uh, you rally. And uh, as the conversation proceeds, you get the opportunity to tell him why you believe the Bible to be true. You might talk about fulfilled prophecy. You might talk about the supernatural unity of the Bible. You might talk about historical confirmations of it. You might talk about the fact that the Bible account gives the best explanation of the world in which we find ourselves. You might talk about the power of the Bible to transform lives. You could do all of these things, whatever. But you get your opportunity and you share this truth concerning the Bible with this man, the plain lands, and uh, you go your separate ways. Now, you might never see the man again. What should you take away from this conversation? Well, you know, you could be kicking yourself. You know, I didn't get telling him the whole gospel. Or else you could be thanking God for the opportunity to communicate to this man that his word can be trusted. Now, I, I think the second response is by far the best one. Um, Greg Cuckoo, who, who wrote a, a wonderful little book on this subject called Tactics, put it like this. He said, since I know that I play only one part in a larger process of bringing anyone to the Lord, I am comfortable taking smaller steps towards that end. You see, once we recognize that God is in control, we can rest in that. We are links in the chain. We take the opportunity that is before us and we leave the rest with God. Long after we have ceased speaking, God can still be at work with that person and he can utilize others. The Lord Jesus often took people just where he found them he answered their questions, 
He did not force the conversation unnaturally. He often just spoke simply about the subjects they raised. So this man, Greg Cookle, whom I've mentioned, he, he described his goal for each conversation in, in this way. He said his goal was to put a stone in the person's shoe. Now, well, what does that mean? Well, a stone in your shoe, as you will know, is uncomfortable. And you might be able to ignore it just for a little while, but the time usually comes when you have to stop. And you have to do something about that stone in your shoe. You've got to take the shoe off. You've got to get the stone out. Now, in the same way, we can approach conversation with the goal of leaving something with the person who we're speaking to. Leaving something with them that may not leave them. You know, perhaps simply that truth that the Bible can be trusted. Or the truth that uh, it's reasonable to believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus or whatever it might be uh, and God can use that in his time to uh, that person's blessing but now ha having said all of that of course our ultimate goal remains the presentation of the full gospel which is of course to preach Christ it's, if it is possible to do this, we, we should try to do it uh, winsomely and, and wisely. Now, to try and be helpful in this, I want to think of preaching Christ under these uh, points. I want to talk about the content of the gospel. I want to talk about compassion in sharing it. And then I want to think about the choice that is left with those that hear it. So, I want to think about gospel content. If someone was to ask you, what is the gospel, uh, what would you respond? Well, the, the gospel is good news from God uh, about Christ and uh, for all, or for sinners. And as we consider the, the Lord presenting the gospel here in John chapter 4, uh, the, these facts can clearly be gleaned. From his presentation. He, he introduces the gospel where we read in verse 10. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. So here we have salvation presented as the gift of God, available through Christ, and accessible to this sinful woman. So let's think a little bit about it being from God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's from God. Now, I want to lift really just one major point that, that flows out of this. And it is that the gospel is utterly unique. It is different from every other religious idea. Because every other religious idea is man-made and thus Man's thinking is all over it. The gospel is different. Now, now, how is the gospel different? Well, notice how the Lord refers here to the blessing of salvation. He says, if you knew the gift of God. Now, the fact that salvation is a free gift distinguishes the Christian message from every other message. 
Um, apparently, in the last century, there was a, a conference of comparative religions held in the United Kingdom, in England, here. And uh, religious experts were together from all the different religions to debate what doctrine, if any, was unique to the different religions. And so it came up, uh, what, what doctrine is unique to Christianity? They all, they all made their suggestions. But apparently C.S. Lewis was one of the attendees, and his contribution was to say, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And after a little bit of discussion, they all agreed. Christianity is unique because in it, salvation is by God's grace alone. Now, now because this contrast with people's thinking at every level it's beyond their normal experience to receive something for nothing if you like it is something we need to communicate very very clear god's righteousness bars me from entering heaven on the basis of my own performance because the bible says that i have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God has given his law, we've broken it, we deserve his judgment, we have no right of appeal, there's no higher authority than God. But God's grace has met the demands of his righteousness and salvation is now freely available as the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, it is a gift for the guilty. And that needs to be Communicate. So the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 3, uh, referring to those who stand guilty before God because of their sin, he, he says immediately after that, he says that they can be justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, to be justified freely is to be declared righteous by God through no merit of our own. God has already assessed us as guilty. There is no reason in us for him to declare us righteous. So the cause for our justification then is not in us, but it is in himself. It is by his grace. So uh, we've no merit, but God bestows his favour upon us, he removes our guilt, and he gives us this status of righteousness. Now what is grace? Grace is kindness shown to the undeserving. And uh, the, the gospel of the grace of God is the tremendous news of God's kindness towards the hell-deserving. It is absolutely essential that we communicate this. Uh, what we have earned from God is judgment. What we're offered by God is salvation. The gospel's from God, and that's why it is by grace. It stands out as unique. The gospel is also about Christ. Uh, how, how can God offer heaven to hell-deserving people? How can this woman with a, a sinful past enter into the blessing of salvation? Well, we'll notice that the Lord speaks about her understanding here. Who it is that says to you, give me to drink? 
the, the good news that the Lord's communicating concerns Himself. Right? We also need to preach Christ. But I think we need to understand and just maybe uh, rehearse for ourselves what it means to preach Christ. You see, evangelism consists of much more than an appeal to trust Jesus. We need to inform people about him before we can invite people to him. Uh, during the, the course of this woman's dialogue with the Lord, uh, her understanding of his true identity progresses. She spoke first of him as a Jew, and then as a prophet, and then ultimately as the Messiah. So ultimately she recognised who the, the giver of salvation was, and she received the gift. Now the reason for the increase in knowledge, this incremental increase in knowledge, was because she was instructed. She was instructed by what the Lord said, and by what the Lord did. And foundational truths about Christ were communicated to her. The Lord taught her truth and that enabled her to trust in him. Remember this. Faith comes by hearing. That is, the truth must be known before it can be trusted. I, I, I remember um, uh, a man answering uh, a knock on the door one, one time just as I was going around the doors and he was wearing just a pair of shorts holding a, a bottle in his hand and in his living room there was a party ongoing with a group of his friends who were drinking and doing drugs and so on and uh, this, this guy James he, he, he asked me what I was doing at his door and uh, when I told him he said well, come on in, come on in and uh, he, he ushered me on into his kitchen, uh, the rest were in the, the living room, and he, he began to tell this story. He said, you know, I got saved just three weeks ago. He says, I was on a real high for a few weeks, but now look at me. Now he, he'd been drinking, but he was well able to, to hold the conversation. And uh, I asked him how he got saved, and, and he... he he said, well, I'm a Christian who invited me to hear the gospel. I went along. And during the appeal at the end, my hand just shot up. He says, it just shot up. And uh, then a, a, a lot of people gathered around him and clapped him in the back and congratulated him and uh, said, that was wonderful that you made the decision. And uh, he, he went on to expand a little on this three weeks of being in a high. And... Uh, and then he just looked at this bottle in his hand and he said, what happened? What happened? Now, I, I told uh, him that I wasn't in the business of telling people whether they were saved or not. But I wanted to tell him the gospel. And uh, I explained the problem of sin to him and traced the story of the Lord Jesus and his coming into the world to save us and so on. And I began to speak about the Lord's death upon the cross. And, and James said, well, how could he have died on the cross for me? Sure. He didn't even know me. Well, I answered that question, continued on, until I reached the point where I said, you know, the Bible says that to be saved, 
a person must trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Have you ever done that? So the complete blank expression, he said, no, never. Well, then I, I, I said, while I don't like to tell people if they're saved or not, uh, the Bible makes it clear that without trusting Christ, he can't be saved. Uh, so, James, I think you can take it that you're not saved. Now, what was James' problem? Well, his problem was this. He had no idea what the gospel was. None whatsoever. He didn't know what salvation was. He didn't know anything about the Savior. And whatever response he had made in the circumstances he was in was uninformed and ineffective. He, he wasn't saved. You see, the, the Lord says that people who don't accept who he is, they, they die in their sins. So we need to properly then communicate to people the identity of the Savior. We need to be careful about this. And this, this has, has never been more indispensable as we share the message of the gospel than it is presently. Because very often uh, as Christians we assume people know an awful lot that they don't know. And sometimes we, we, we just push into an appeal to trust the Lord. So what are the foundational facts of the gospel? Well, we've seen already from uh, Romans chapter 3 that, that, that human beings stand before God uh, as before a righteous judge. They're guilty in his sight. They, they have crimes that they can't pay for. And there's a punishment in front of them that they can never possibly exhaust. But there are four facts about the Lord Jesus Christ that show him to be the answer to human need. And these four facts are his deity, his humanity, his sacrificial death, and his bodily resurrection. And these form the core beliefs of Christianity, so much so that if people deny these truths, they are not saved. Now the four truths can be linked together in, in this way, just, just simply. His, his deity. The Lord, because he is God, he could make a sufficient sacrifice. That is, as an infinite person, he could satisfy the claims of infinite justice on behalf of a sinful world. He could make a payment that we could never make because he's God. His humanity, he could make a substitutionary sacrifice. As a real man, yet a holy man, he could substitute for men. He could take their punishment upon himself. So his deity and humanity made the sacrificial death upon the cross possible. His death, not only could he make a sufficient and substitutionary sacrifice, his death shows us that he did make a substitutionary Sacrifice. What he could do by virtue of his true humanity, he has done. And in his resurrection, he did make a sufficient sacrifice. What he could do by virtue of his deity, he has done. God has confirmed his acceptance of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. Now, these are four 
uh, essential gospel truths and we must make it our business to ensure, whether to instruct people about it or ensure that they are familiar with these facts. I often use an illustration in conversation for something like this. Suppose you were in, in court for, for committing a crime and the, the, the evidence is against you, the verdict is reached that you are guilty. And the time comes for, for sentencing and the judge sentences you to pay, pay this massive fine. It's so large a fine that you will not be able to pay it. And if the thing isn't paid, you know you're going to go to prison. And so you are devastated and you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to end up in prison. And you come out of the, the courtroom and you, you sit down in a corner and you put your head down in your hands and you're, 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 you're really worried about the future. And then somebody sits down beside you. And uh, you look up and to your surprise, it's the judge. The judge is looking at you. He says, uh, you, you did do the crime, didn't you? He said, well, yes, I did. You saw the evidence, of course, about the crime. He says, well, then you do deserve the, the punishment, don't you? He said, well, yeah, I do deserve the punishment, but I don't want to go to prison. And he says, well, when we were in the courtroom there, I had to uphold the law. I had to find you guilty because you were guilty. I had to give you the punishment that was due for the crime that you had committed. But I, I, I'm looking at you now. It's a, a carefully puts his hand in his pocket and takes out a big lot of banknotes. Says, I can settle the thing. I can settle the thing. Now, at that point, when I'm using that illustration to speak to someone, I, I usually ask the person, well, would you be thankful for that? Would you be thankful? And almost always I'd say, of course, of course I'd be thankful. And then I try to draw out the gospel lessons. God is the judge. We have broken his law. We deserve his punishment. He knows the penalty that is due for the crime that we have committed. And it is to receive eternal punishment. And there is before us hell. We can't pay our way out of it. But God in his grace has stood. He's come into the world in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's gone to the cross at Calvary and he has offered a sacrifice to pay the penalty that we deserve. To satisfy justice in respect of what we have done. And all that he desires from us. I usually say that God has raised him from the dead and all that he desires from us is to trust him. Is to trust him. And then I ask, are, are you thankful about that? And try and lead into a conversation that way. Now, I'm sharing with that, that sort of illustration with you just, just to show something, just to show a, a simple illustration that incorporates within it teaching about the Lord Jesus. It, it simply explains these basic gospel truths. It either implies or directly states these foundational truths about the deity and the humanity and the sacrificial death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, we, we, we really need to learn to attempt to teach the gospel because truth must be known before trust can be placed 
in it. And a simple method for instructing others is to weave into your conversation basic truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless you're certain that the person knows the gospel well, assume they know nothing. Instead of just hastily quoting a pile of Bible verses and bombarding people with them, take the time slowly to explain what it is that you are quoting to them. So for example, we might say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then we go to another verse. But you could expand that a little and say, you know, the Bible says that, that Christ Jesus, that's the one who, who, who was God and lived with he in heaven with the Father. He, he came into the world voluntarily becoming a, a real man. He, he, he came to save sinners. That's, that's us. That means to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve for the sins that we have committed. And just simply by expanding the text in that simple way, you're explaining it. And you're giving them the time to compute it. You're teaching. Now, uh, we must also, I think, learn to, to listen well and uh, to pick up on any hints that uh, maybe would let us know that we're not being understood. But sometimes because of previous influences, people, they, they hear what they expect to hear. They don't hear what we're saying or what we mean. There's a girl uh, called Claire whose door I knocked uh, a, a while ago. She's a girl in her 20s. And she's very willing to chat about spiritual things. And I thought just by her attitude that she knew a bit. And I thought I could go straight to the gospel here. Um, and when I mentioned that the Lord Jesus Christ was gone, well, she, she agreed wholeheartedly, and I thought, it's great. But I soon found out that she thought that I was God too. And that uh, she thought that she was God as well. In fact, she believed that everyone was just a part of the divine, but we had all just kind of forgotten that. And I had to clarify what I meant by God, and... I had to go back to, to explain in what sense Jesus was God, and then I had to talk about what it meant uh, for, for human beings to be made in the image of God, and these different kinds of things that she had in her mind. You see, what, what I'm just illustrating by this is this. A simple invitation to Claire to trust Jesus would have been meaningless. It wouldn't have been enough. She needed the time spent in explanation. She needed to be taught clearly the facts, which we often assume are widely known. So we, we need to try and ensure that people are hearing what we're meaning and not just what we're saying. So we thought briefly then about gospel content. So I want to think uh, about gospel compassion. In our passage we read that the Lord must go through Samaria. Why? Because he cared for the Samaritans. His love for the outsiders meant that he went to where they were. And he used language that the woman understood. He illustrated the gospel attractively. He crossed all these cultural barriers to demonstrate interest in her. And the Lord stood out in his culture as someone who was approachable to these untouchables, and, and that made them despised by those who were Pharisees. Now, aligned with what we say, 
And the gospel is what we do. And people will judge us, they'll judge our words by our ways. And so we need to pray for and to seek to practice compassion. Now true compassion will be shown in our behaviour, our, our individual lives, our interactions with people. That, that has an effect on people. The Apostle Peter put it like this. He said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, by our actions, by our attitudes, we can pave the way for people to be receptive to the gospel. So we should behave well out of love for others. Then true compassion will also be shown in our friendships. Now there's no doubt that the, uh, the, the closest friends that we have are those who share the same interests that we have. And that will mean if our core interests are spiritual, that our closest friends will be Christians. But we need to learn to show ourselves friendly to all. Uh, love demands that we associate with people and don't isolate ourselves from people. Evangelism demands a life of devotion to God separation from sin and yet a life that is lived in close proximity to sinners. Now this, this, this may be a difficult balance and we all recognise that but it is a necessary one to seek to find. We need to get to know people, we need to share our lives with people, it is all essential. Um, Paul, Paul Williams uh, put it like this. He, he said it's, it's hard sometimes to have compassion for huge groups of people that we don't know from Adam. But when we share our lives with people and make genuine friendships with them and pray for them, we will increasingly grow to love them. And compassion for them will drive us to overcome our fears and tell them about Jesus. So we need to think about our, our friendships. And uh, another thing we need to think about is our sensitivity to people. Uh, you know, one of the greatest illustrations, one of my favourite illustrations of this in the Bible, is found in the Gospel of Mark and chapter 7. That the Lord is healing a deaf and a dumb man. And uh, the Lord, he, he leads the man away from the crowd just to get his personal attention and, and to take away all distraction. And then he communicates with the man in sign language. Puts his fingers in his ears and all those different spits and so on. But sign language, this man can only see. And then he uses the word ephatha. Now that's a word which could be immediately understood through lip reading. means be open. You see, the Lord considered the man and he accommodated his communication to that person. The Apostle Paul said, To the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. 
And uh, the fact is that why we should never at any moment discard any biblical truth, we, we do need to be willing to set aside extra biblical traditions. If those traditions are in some way hindering our ability to reach the lost, we should be willing to stoop. We, we might have personal preferences in many, many things, but uh, the evidence of a loving, sacrificial spirit is to be willing to set those aside for the good of others. So this is gospel compassion. Now that brings us to uh, a final point, uh, which is gospel choice. Gospel choice. Now, uh, the, the term appeal um, has often been misused, but there is an appeal in the gospel which does need to be communicated. In uh, John chapter 4, the, the invitation of the Lord was implied everywhere. He said, for example, if you knew, you would have asked. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. So, so he's saying that there's a, a, a personal choice to be made. You know, by, by using this analogy of drinking, the Lord stresses that this choice is a personal one. No one else can drink for you. So I want to think then just for a few moments about responsibility. Everywhere in the Bible, people are treated, just as we read through it, we'll discover this, a simple reading will show this to us. People are treated as responsible beings with a choice as to their relationship with God. We examine the life of the Lord Jesus, we'll see often that he firmly placed the responsibility for personal blessing on the shoulders of the sinner. He did this just by the way he exhorted people. For example, he exhorted them to repent, to believe, to come, to follow, to seek, to receive, to ask, to drink, to eat, to enter in. Now, many of those words were later used by the apostles as well. And they added a few of their own, uh, exhorting uh, sinners to obey the gospel, to accept the Savior, to confess, to call, or to take. Now, these appeals all do demand a decision on the part of the hearer. They place responsibility on the recipient of the gospel message. And we, we can't really feel, or we, we, we shouldn't feel, to faithfully present to each person that they do have a responsibility before God. And a good gospel conversation will leave a person conscious that they are responsible to do something, that is to repent and believe the gospel. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. It says, as though God we're pleading through us. We are to implore on Christ's behalf that sinners be reconciled to God. And what the Bible is saying, we wouldn't say this if the Bible didn't say it. What the Bible is saying is that God is appealing. And God is beseeching. And God is entreating sinners. And 
we, we stand as the representatives of Christ and we implore people, we beseech them to be reconciled to God. I mean, the Lord managed in this conversation just a few words of invitation. He managed to communicate to this woman that salvation wasn't just available to sinners. That's good, but it was available to her. It was available to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God, of who it is who says to you, give me drink, you would have asked. He would have given you living water. And that's because whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so with, with a clear conscience and with honest, sincere desire, with urgent pleadings, we can call upon sinners to repent, to acknowledge before God their sinfulness and their helplessness, and to receive Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Now that's not an easy thing to do in a conversation. And this is where I think this is the, probably the difficult, most difficult point in conversation is when the, the person seems to understand the gospel and uh, you want them to trust the Lord then and there, but you're kind of afraid that you're going to push them in some way that you shouldn't. But the Bible is very clear that we should urge people to trust the Lord. Now, uh, Paul preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the responsibility in the head of the sinners. Now alongside these appeals of Christ in this story, there are assurances. For example, in response to her asking, he said that she would be given living water. Salvation would be granted. And to the person who appropriated salvation, it tells us here, the, the, the promise is that that person shall Never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So we need to let people know that genuine faith in Christ will result in certain salvation and that salvation will not disappoint. Each sinner can be absolutely certain that, that trusting Christ brings certain salvation eternal satisfaction and security. These are things to communicate as we preach Christ. We, we'll just go over a little summary of that for a moment. Our ultimate goal then is to tell of Christ. But the goal for this conversation is to move in that direction. To preach Christ we must emphasise Grace, and we must carefully instruct people regarding the unique person and work of the Saviour. We need also to reflect the compassion of the Lord in our behaviour, in our friendship, in our sensitivity. And we must make very clear the responsibility of the sinner to repent and believe the gospel. Now, uh, we've, we've attempted as best we can to consider the, the subject of, of this personal evangelism over the last couple of days. And maybe I'll just go back over, just to, to sum up to, to, to the end here. We've thought about the, the, the teaching that all of us have responsibility 
in our own sphere and to our own capacities to simply tell sinners the gospel so that they may be saved. The results are not in our hands. We've thought about the importance of, of questions. Uh, we've thought about the use of the law. We've thought about our attitudes and our answers to challenges that might be raised against us. And tonight we've thought about this wonderful privilege of preaching Christ. And, and the story of the Lord's conversation with this woman, it, it ends with the woman's salvation. It, well, notice actually, it doesn't really end with this woman's salvation because this perfect evangelist, the Lord Jesus, has produced another evangelist. In, in verse 28, the woman, she, she left her water pot, she went her way into the city. She said to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. You know, I used to wonder why she did that. You know, why, did, why, why didn't she say this is the Christ? She said this is the Christ. I think she was a fast learner in, in evangelism. She began by asking a question. A question that would whet the appetite of the hearers to investigate for themselves. And the result of her asking that question is that they came out. And it tells us in verse 42 that they said to her, Now we believe, not because of what you have said. We've heard it ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. So may the Lord make us all as effective in our evangelism as this woman was. And uh, may place in each of our hearts the same uh, true compassion for the lost as the Lord Jesus Christ himself had. And there was a wee prayer recorded in a song which I thought was applicable. I'm going to put it up on the, 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 the slide here. And this is what it says. It says, Dear Lord, I ask for the eyes that see. Deep down to the world's sore need, I ask for the love that holds not back, but pours out itself. Indeed, I want that passionate power of prayer that yearns for the great crowd's soul. I want to go among the fainting sheep and tell them, My Lord makes whole. Let me look at the crowd as my Saviour did, till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me look till I pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of him. Now, it's been a great privilege for me to be with you all over this last few days. And may the Lord bless his word to all of us. We'll just pray for that.